0: Welcome, everyone, to the new 1001 Sherlock Holmes Stories Podcast. Here you'll find a collection of Sherlock Holmes' adventures as well as the best of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's stories. Some from our archives at 1001 Classic Short Stories and 1001 Stories for the Road, and some newly produced, all here for your entertainment.
1: Here we are, and asked, Pinkus. I do not know why you should make this fuss over me, Dr. Watson. Anyone would think that I am seriously ill. Oh, well, you're not. But you might be if you don't take care of yourself. You're not a
2: young man, you know. And after a life such as you've had, well, it's a wonder you're in such
1: good shape. Mm. Uh, it tastes bad. Ah, uh, but you are right. That at least I, Andreas Paulos Juno, have lived. Look. Look at my pictures. The photographs. Greece. Spain. Italy. Ah, yes, Italy, the most beautiful. <sighs> if only my Maria were alive. <laughs> she would be really looking after me. But thank you, Dr. Watson. There's really no need to concern yourself anymore. <laughs> Good day.
2: Present the stories of Sherlock Holmes. The Italian Intrigue. Sherlock Holmes was never a man to believe in luck or in coincidence. As a medical man, I suppose I should have been equally scientific, but my long travels in the East, mixing with strange fakirs and mystics, had left me with a form of ingrained superstition. I became aware of this once again in the summer of 1891, when I attended one of my most colourful patients in his small detached house in Moorfields. Andreas Juno was a wonderful man, filled with a zest for living at every moment. He'd married an Italian girl, Maria, and they had one son, Rico. They were supremely happy. Later, tragedy had struck. Maria had been killed at a riding accident. Andreas showed his courage then by the way he forged ahead, heartbroken but strong. These thoughts had been uppermost in my mind as I drove back to Baker Street. And somehow... I wasn't surprised to find a well-dressed, foreign-looking woman outside our home.
3: um, Scusatum, please, but this is the house of Mr. Sherlock Holmes.
2: That is correct. Uh, My name is Dr. John Watson. I share rooms with Mr. Holmes. Uh, Can I be of any help to you?
3: I I wish, please, to be interviewed by Mr. Holmes. I, uh, I
2: have no appointment, I'm afraid. Well, Let us go inside. I'm sure if Holmes is free, he'll talk to you. Uh, come this way. Oh, grazie. Sherlock Holmes was free. He was sitting by the open window reading a book. When we entered, he looked up and greeted us both with a thin-lipped smile. Ah, Watson.
4: I observed you arriving by hansom and wondered if you'd be kind enough to bring up this young lady. She's been hesitating outside for some little while. Uh, please do be seated. I observe that you have traveled a long way. I'm very flattered. You are an Italian. You come from Naples, perhaps. And you are not familiar with our English currency. You have difficulty paying the cabby.
3: That is quite correct, Mr. Holmes. Although, how you can tell it, just at just a glance, I really do not understand.
4: Oh, it's really quite simple. Please, do be seated. Your very appearance says that you are not English. There's always a style about continental women that shines in our drab London streets. You're wearing a locket round your neck, which is unmistakably Italian. Uh, I think if my memory serves me correctly, it is the charm of Naples. Only people born and bred in that city are allowed to wear it. It's supposed to bring good luck.
3: That is also correct, but I'm afraid the luck, it is not with me for a long time now. I am in trouble, Mr. Holmes, and that is why I come to you. My name is Lucia Cataldo. I am not married until recently. I lived with my father, Marco Gino Cataldo. He was the prosperous merchant. Then a year ago, there was trouble. Things in the business, they go wrong. We lose the money and the prestige. My father, he suddenly sells most of the own, and And then he disappears. I do not know where he is. Friends, relatives, they do not know. I, I must find out what has happened.
4: Well, if I can help you, you may be sure that I shall, Signorina. But uh, tell me what brings you to England.
3: I hear uh, from a friend of the friend that Papa... He took the boat from France across the Channel. That was a month ago. I have little money, but I come to try and find him. But London, it is so big. I don't know how to start.
4: Well, of course, there is your own embassy.
3: Oh, that I have tried. They do not know of him. He does not report to them.
4: And you have already tried to reach him through the agony columns of both the morning and evening standard?
3: You, you know that? How?
4: Oh, I studied these columns. Recently, there was an appeal for Signor Cataldo to reply to an urgent appeal. Uh, The moment you mentioned your name, I knew it must be the same family.
3: So, so what can I do? I must find Papa. Well, of
4: course, I shall make all the inquiries I can. Uh, Tell me, you have no names or addresses of any of your father's friends in London?
3: No, not as far as I know. He has no friends here. All the time we lived in Naples, there was never an English visitor in our home. The only time Papa spoke English was to a Greek friend.
2: English to a Greek friend?
3: How
2: odd. Do you recall the friend's name?
3: Oh, it was many years ago. The man he married a girl from my village and he became friendly. I, I cannot recall the name. It was oh I don't know. My friend's name was Maria Goldini.
2: Maria? Maria Goldini?
3: She married this man who was much older than herself.
2: Well, it, it could have been Juno. Uh, could it be Andreas Paulus Juno?
3: Oh, no momento. You you know. Doctor Watson. I think that was it. I I cannot be certain so many years ago, but it might have been.
4: (laughs) Well, come now, Watson. What magic trick are you about to perform now, an Italian rabbit out of a hat?
2: (laughs) Not exactly, but by the wildest coincidence, I've just returned from administering to a patient. He's an elderly Greek gentleman, Andrea Paolo Juno. He married this Italian girl when he was middle-aged. I have a strong feeling that
4: it must be the same man. Well, now, that is something to go on.
3: Dr. Watson, even if this does not lead us to Papa, if this is the same man, then please, can you not take me to him? I should greatly like to meet him again. Of
2: course I will. The is not desperately ill, but I can always find an excuse to call in upon him. I shall be busy with other patients for the rest of the day, but... Tomorrow morning, perhaps.
3: Oh, grazie. That I can agree
2: to. Uh, Good. Now, where are you staying at the moment?
3: In the Garibaldi Hotel in Albion Street.
2: Marble Arch, it's quite convenient. Uh, Shall I pick you up there at, say, uh, at nine o'clock tomorrow
3: morning? Oh, that will be most convenient. Thank you very much. I will take up no more time, Mr. Holmes, but I do hope that we shall meet again soon.
4: I do most sincerely hope that we find your father. Good day to you, Signorina Cataldo. Oh, grazie. I saw Lucia Cataldo
2: downstairs and into a handsome cab. When I returned, Holmes was seated at his desk, one of his innumerable research folios open in front of him.
4: I do not seem to find what I'm looking for, Watson. Might I ask what it is? The name Cataldo, it has a definite ring about it. I thought when I saw the agony column the other day that it was to do with the criminal element associated with Palermo in Sicily, the treacherous organization known as the Mafia.
2: You're not suggesting that the Chia Catalo's family are criminals,
4: are you Holmes? I didn't say that, but ask yourself one thing, Watson. Why has this man uprooted from Naples and come to England, and without explaining the reason to his only daughter? It's the act of a desperate man, a man afraid for his life. You mean he's been
2: hounded out of his own country and is hiding over here? He doesn't want to acknowledge the fact,
4: not even to his own daughter? Yes, exactly. You might even think the advertisements appealing to him in the newspapers there are a to get him to reveal his whereabouts. Oh, I see, and I don't fancy our chances of tracing him. Oh, why wouldn't be as pessimistic as that. Follow up on the visit to your Greek friend in the morning, but keep your eyes and ears open, Watson. There could be a great deal more behind this than first appears. The rest of that day passed uneventfully enough. The
2: next morning dawned bright and clear, and Lucia Cataldo was waiting for me at her hotel. She spoke little on our drive out to Moorfields. It was clear that she was extremely worried. But when we were shown into Andreas Juno's house, it was Rico, his son, who welcomed us.
5: Ah, Dr. Watson. How pleased I am that you're called. Father was taken quite bad during the night. I was wondering how to get in touch with you. Do come
2: in. uh, allow me to introduce you. This is Lucia Cataldo. She believes that her father and uh, your
3: own were friends
2: many years ago in Italy. I'm...
5: Very pleased to meet you, Senora.
3: And I you. It was lucky that I called
5: here yesterday afternoon. As you know, my job takes me all over the country, Doctor. I am rarely home, Morgan, a few nights every month. Will you please follow me?
4: Well, uh, what appears to be wrong
5: with your father, Rico? Oh, he has the pains in the chest and can't breathe very well. I gave him some of the medicine you left yesterday, but he didn't sleep at all. If I didn't know him better, I would think he was imagining it all. He seems to be worried about something. Quite unlike him In here Dr. Watson to see you,
1: father And also a friend from Italy Italy a, a friend from Italy
3: I am Lucia Cataldo I wondered if you were the friend Who used to visit my father Marco in Napoli
1: Lucia oh, I, I cannot pretend Oh,
3: Sissi si.
1: oh, But what are you doing here? I uh, think before you
2: start to explain, Signora, I must attend to this gentleman. Uh, Would you mind? Uh, Rico, please, now that the Signora knows you're old friends, won't you take care of her until I've examined your father? No, no need. Uh, I'm all right. You are not all right. You are clearly in great distress. I must take your temperature and listen to that chest of yours. Do as the
5: doctor says, Father. Come, Lucia. I may call you that meantime. Come. Come this way.
2: Now, let's get one thing clear. If I have any more of this nonsense, I shall have you removed to a hospital. You won't like that, so you'd better do exactly as you're told. Now, open your mouth and don't talk. I gave Andreas another thorough examination. His condition was much the same as it had been the day before. I could detect no marked deterioration. All I could do was leave more medications and order him to take a complete rest. Then I allowed Lucia Cataldo back into the room and left them together.
3: So you see, Signor Juno, I must find my father. I must know what all this means. You are the only person I know in England who may have heard from him. De prego, have you seen him? Has he been in touch with you? Tell me.
1: My, My dear, my... My heart, it bleeds for you, but from the little I know, I can only advise one thing. Go back to your own country. Cease this search for your papa. It is a hard thing for me to say, but if you stay here, continue to ask the questions, you will only make things far worse. Go. Go. Well, there's a chance. Go. Leave now. Leave me and this house and never come back. Understand? Never. <coughs>
2: Lucia Cataldo was with Andreas for only about 20 minutes. When she came out of his room, she was pale and trembling. She refused to talk about their conversation and begged me to go about my daily business. I was reluctant to do this, but when Rico Juno said he would take her back to her hotel, I was forced to agree. We said we'd keep in touch, and I assured Rico that I would call upon his father within two days and that I was available on the telephone should he want me before then. The next afternoon, just as I got back to my surgery.
3: Call for Dr. John Watson.
2: Uh, Watson speaking.
3: Hold the line, Dr. Watson. You're going through.
5: Hello? Hello? Hello, Dr. Watson. This is Rico Juno speaking.
2: Oh, uh, good afternoon, Rico. What is it? Anything
1: wrong?
5: Yes, there certainly is its father. He's been attacked. I went to my office this morning, and when I returned about noon, I found him lying on the floor of the sitting room. Someone must have got in and beaten him up. He's in a bad way.
2: Oh, gracious, where is he now?
5: In the Moorfields General Hospital. They say he'll be all right, but it's very worrying.
2: Oh, I'll uh, get over there as soon as I can, Rico. Thank you for letting me know. Now, try not to worry, and I'll be in touch with you later. Thank you. Goodbye. Uh, goodbye. It was later that afternoon before I managed to get across to the hospital. I was allowed to see Andreas because I was his doctor, but I knew that it was useless to question him at any length. He was extremely badly beaten, and although no bones were broken, there was obvious concussion, and a lot that he said didn't make sense.
1: Don't, don't, get away! Uh, uh, no right to be here. Well, won't, won't, tell you, won't tell you a thing. Uh,
2: Oh, where am I? Andres. Andres. This is Watson. Can you understand me? I am here. You all right. Just try to lie quiet.
1: Dr. Watson. Yes. Yes.
2: Uh,
1: Not made a very good job of this, have I?
2: You've been attacked. Can you tell me how it happened?
1: Broke in. Two men. I I don't know them. They... They asked questions. Sir. I didn't understand. I told them to get away, get away. No right. Well, I tell you, never heard of the man. That no one here called Marco. It was
2: clearly a waste of time to stay further. I had a talk to the doctors and nursing staff, and left knowing that Andreas was in good hands. I tried to concentrate upon my work for the rest of that day, but I couldn't get my mind away from what had happened. Holmes was out when I got home. He came in later for supper, and I explained as best I could what had happened. It seems very clear that things are moving to a climax, Holmes. I'm sure that it's all connected with the disappearance of Marco Cataldo, it's got to be. Otherwise, why did Andreas keep muttering his name in protest? Yes, that's obvious.
4: Well, I'm afraid the time has come for us to take an active hand in all this, Watson. Although it's getting quite late, I fear we must delay no longer. Well, if you're willing, I think we should call a cab after supper and get over to Moorfields immediately. I presume that this young man, Rico, will be at home. Yes, I think so.
2: They won't allow him into the hospital at this hour. I doubt if his father will have visitors for some days. They will, I agree. I should be grateful for your advice.
4: Frankly, the thing is growing upon my mind. It's In a strange sort of way, I feel responsible. In that case, let us finish up the remains of the game pie, wash it down with a draught of fine ale, and be on our way. What do you say?
2: Within half an hour, we were in a hansom and pattering our way across London. By the time we got to Moorfields, it was quite dark and the streets were deserted. The lights were on in the downstairs windows. That at least showed us Rico Juno was at home. He received us with delighted surprise.
5: Oh, come in, come in. How nice to see you, Mr. Holmes. I take it that Dr. Watson has told you of our latest troubles. Yes,
4: I'm very sorry. Perhaps if i had taken a more active hand earlier, I might have been able to prevent this. However, we must deal with things one at a time. You say that you rarely spend much time in this house?
5: No, I feel a little guilty about it, but I travel a great deal in my job. All up and down the country. Father is there alone for days and nights at a time.
4: Mm. You have someone who comes in and cleans and
5: cooks? Oh, yes, yes, a Mrs. Lawson. She comes in three times a week, has her own keys. Been with the
4: family for years, quite trustworthy. When you do stay here overnight, do you ever notice anything strange? Noises, movements that you can't account for. Oh, well, I am usually
5: so exhausted from my day's work that I go to bed quite early and sleep very soundly. But, well, sometimes I do get the feeling that... that uh, all isn't well. It's an old house, of course. Stairs creak a bit. I'm not the
4: nervous type. Do you notice any food disappearing? Things misplaced in cupboards? Well, no, no. I have nothing to do with the running of the place. Why? Well, why do you ask? I ask because I am sure that you are not living here alone, and neither was your father. What? What do you mean? You have a lodger, an unpaying guest. He's here in this house at this very moment. Mr. Holmes, what are you talking
5: about? Do, do you mean... Oh, no, you don't think that, that Lucia's father is, is staying here under this room? It would seem to me to be the most likely solution. But that's impossible. There are only two rooms upstairs, father's and mine. There is an old box room. An attic, I presume? Yes, but no
4: one could live up there. You can't be sure. There's only a couple of foot of space between the ceiling and the tires. It is impossible. Nonetheless, I think we must investigate, and I think we must handle this very gently. Now, come, take me to the top of the house and let us take a look at this attic. Uh, Lead the way, please. Ah, yes. You see, there is the hatch to the attic. A small plank of wood about three feet square... Here, see the top of the stairs? If one stood on the rail at the top landing, one could easily reach the hatch, remove it, and pull oneself up. Yes. And look. Look, you see marks upon the on the rail here. Yes, that is exactly what has happened. Now give me a hand, Watson, I'm going up.
5: But this but is ridiculous. There is nothing up there. No one could exist. up
2: there. Careful, uh, uh, Yes. yes. Uh, take my shoulder. Uh, right. go, go, go quiet now. <laughs> now
4: light, please, the lamp. Hand it up. Here. Ah, good. Ah, come out, please. Please come out. No one is going to hurt you. Please, Senor Marco Cataldo, you are among friends. Please, now take my hand. Let me help you down,
3: please. I, 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 I cannot. I c- cannot.
4: Yes, yes, you can. You. You can come along now. You can do it. Uh, Come along now. That's it. Gently now, gently. Careful now, Lex.
2: What happened next was one of the most bizarre sights I can ever remember seeing. From the small aperture came the emaciated legs of a tiny, filthy, frail creature who hardly resembled a human being. His staring eyes were wild with fear. He was shaking with ague. A man hardly in his right mind. Holmes handled him like a child. Soon we were back downstairs. Drinks were poured, and Marco Catablo was persuaded to sip a small brandy. Gradually we managed to get some sensible words out of him.
3: I I had to hide there. It was the only place I could find. Uh, Andreas, he, he did not know. I, I came here the cleaning woman. She she let me in. I I, I pretended to go, not, not to wait. I said goodbye, closed the front door loudly and crept back up there till I, I found a place to, to hide.
4: Yes, you did that because you thought there were no friends here. But there are. Andreas is your friend and so is Rico, his son. His son? Yes. And your own daughter, Lucia. She is here in London.
3: Lucia? Oh, here? Oh, no, no, no. Oh, Lucia.
4: Now, now listen to me. I am Sherlock Holmes... And this is Dr. Watson. I have great influence with the British police. I can guarantee your protection. All you have to do is to tell me who your enemies are and I shall do the rest. Now come. Will you tell us the whole story?
2: Marco Cataldo did exactly that. He described how back in Naples he'd been accused by the mafia of betraying them when in actual fact it was his cousins of the same name who were guilty. He'd been blackmailed by them, forced to pay protection money and eventually flee for his life. Now they had followed him to England, and he'd been forced into hiding. Holmes listened to the story with the greatest of interest. I was able to use my influence to get Cataldo admitted to the same hospital as his friend Andreas. I knew he'd be safe there. The following morning, Holmes announced over breakfast,
4: If you go to read the agony column of the Morning Standard, Watson, you'll see that Marco Cataldo has come out into the open. He's appealed to his daughter to call upon him at a certain address in Elm Park. He even stated the time, 8.30 this evening. Gracious, sir, how extraordinary is it wise? I hope so. The apartment of Inspector Gregson of the yard. I think our mafia friends will be unable to resist this invitation. Young Rico Juno is going to help by impersonating Marco. Shall we also attend? It would be rather gratifying to be in at the kill, as it were. And so it was arranged.
2: There were several of us concealed in Gregson's flat that evening. The front door was conveniently left unlatched. The light was dimmed. Rico Juno, conveniently slumped in a chair by the fire, could have been mistaken for anyone. There was not long to wait.
0: Leave all this to me. this time, we shall not say...
2: See, see, it must be over and finished. Hey, there, there by the fire. It is him. <laughs> so, Marco, you think you're kind of scared, eh? No, not our vengeance. This time you'll die before you can tell the truth. You'll die swiftly with the knife in your throat. It was all over in a matter of minutes. The two would-be assassins were arrested and led away. Much later, Lucia was reconciled to her father, who made plans to immigrate to America, taking her with him. But this plan did not materialize. Because
3: I shall not be leaving London after all, Father. Rico and I are in love. He has asked me to marry him, and I have accepted. O felice! I am so happy.
4: And as Holmes remarked, well, at least the Italian intrigue had a happy ending. Not all our cases do, do they, Watson? <laughs>
0: Listen again next Sunday to The Stories of Sherlock Holmes with Graham Armitage as Holmes and Kerry Jordan as Dr.
5: Watson.
2: Sherlock Holmes. Well remember the case of the Blumhoff Diamond, for it seemed to me to herald the dawn of a new age in scientific detection. The year was 1905. Already... There were quite a few flashy modern motor cars chugging their way through the London streets. We had a telephone installed at Baker Street and most police stations were able to get in touch with us. The homes of the wealthy were discarding gaslight and adapting quickly to Swan and Edison's electrical systems. Sherlock Holmes was, of course, intensely interested by all these changes. He adapted amazingly swiftly to the advantages they lent to his skills and was continually experimenting with each new scientific invention. On this particular occasion, the day started ordinarily enough. Holmes and I had received dozens of telegrams asking for immediate help, so we thought nothing of taking an early train to Richmond.
4: I hope this proves an interesting journey, Watson. It should do.
2: Well, this man... Leacock is a diamond dealer. It seems to indicate a robbery of some kind.
4: I shouldn't be a bit surprised. According to what I've been able to find out by telephone from Scotland Yard, this man, Claude Leacock, is not the ordinary diamond speculator. He's a man who moves quite mysteriously, seeking only the best jewels and the shrewdest of deals. Yes, in other words, a man who courts trouble. It would seem so. Certainly a man to be watched, not necessarily to be taken at his word. But you think this might be a false alarm? It could be. I do not make up my mind about anything until I've been presented with all the facts. But, when a man is dealing in diamonds, anything can happen. Don't you agree?
2: The rest of the journey was smooth enough. We took a carriage from the station, and there was no need to question where Lee House was. The driver took us straight there, and we were immediately shown into the main sitting room. It was large, comfortably furnished, with a number of armchairs around an old-fashioned fireplace. There was a 3 lighted modern fixture hung from the centre of the ceiling, and a table lamp towards one side of the door, near, what was obviously, a small safe. There was only one door, and the windows looked out high above the garden. Mr. Claude Leacock rose from one of the chairs and came towards us.
0: This is extremely kind of you, Mr. Holmes, Dr. Watson. I hardly expected you to be so prompt. Please do be seated and allow me to explain the reason for sending for you.
4: Thank you, I should appreciate
0: that. I will come straight to the point. I've been negotiating for some months for one of the most valuable diamonds in existence. I and three other friends. We at last found a customer in America for this particular duel. We sought to make a considerable profit on this delicate transaction, which all took place in strict secrecy. My arrangements were concluded only yesterday. The seller of the stone arrived from Amsterdam in the morning. I paid him in full. Then I invited my friends here last night to view the stone. But while they were here, it disappeared. And I'm at my wit's end. You must
4: help me find it. If I'm able to do so, it will only be because you tell me the whole sequence of events in full the names of your friends and how it happened. Well,
0: the men concerned are Peter Marvin, Edmund Chester, and Roger Wallace. Mm. They're all businessmen in the trade and personal friends. Yesterday morning, after purchasing the stone, which is incidentally known as the Bloomhoff diamond, I placed it in that safe over there. Then I telephoned each man and invited him to dinner in the evening. They knew the purpose. It was to view the diamond and approve the amount we were to sell it for. Ah.
4: As soon as the men received your message, they knew the purchase had been completed? Exactly. At what time did you send the messages? Uh, Between three and half past that afternoon. Wallace arrived
0: by car, the other two by train. Dinner was served promptly at eight, and it was just before nine when we came in here to talk the matter over. The room is exactly as you see it now. The centre light on, the reading light on the small table was switched off. Mm. And the windows? Closed and shuttered. The heavy curtains drawn across the bay, just as you see them now. I see. The room has not been touched? Not in any particular. Good. Pray continue. Well, I gave a detailed account of the purchase and my friends, and I discussed the matter for some time. And then? Here. So, well, I think that's all very satisfactory, don't you? Yes, excellent. Well, I'm glad you approve, gentlemen. Well, so, uh, come along. Let's see this wonderful Blumhoff diamond. No, certainly, I have it right here in the case. Here we are, in this leather case and wrapped in tissue paper. There. Oh, I, I say, that really is a diamond. I doubt if I've ever seen such a large one. I think we have a bargain here, gentlemen. I wonder that the South African seller didn't ask for considerably more. Yes, our syndicate should profit considerably by this negotiation. The American client is most anxious to purchase. Yeah, may I see? My eyes aren't as good as they were. Well, place it there on the small table, Wallace. Ah. Switch on the reading lamp, Chester. You have your jeweler's eyeglass. Give it a complete inspection. You'll find it worth it. Uh, very well. Uh, oh, 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 uh, really? happened. The lights have all gone out. What's happened? This <laughs> is dark. Uh, 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 let me find the main light. Someone is <clears> pushing the table. Take it easy. Let me find
6: the switch. <throat>
0: oh, good. Didn't the main top light have a The door. Uh, the door to the passage. There'll be light out there. Well, the passage light works on the same circuit. The whole thing has blown. Uh, no oh, candles. There, there, there must be some candles. Come here. Come the matches then. Surely someone has a box of matches. I, I have some. Uh, hold on. In my pocket somewhere. Yeah. Along in oh, my pipe. Oh dear. Oh wait yeah, Yes. Yes, here we are. Hi, uh, the diamond. The diamond. It was there on the table. It's gone. Well, the leather cases, there. The, the tissue paper must have rolled on the floor. Quick, we'll start looking. Oh, my, my fingers burned. Out. Light another match. Quickly, oh, quickly. On, the cheers. candles. We must get some candles. here. Uh,
6: I sir. Oh, what happened to the Ruby, so get some candles from the kitchen. Quickly, guys,
0: quickly. Just to keep those matches going. Light one from the other until the candles come. Right. And everybody, please stay quite still as you are at the moment. But, but the diamond. But, we've got to find the diamond. Of course we've got to find the diamond. We'll never find it. It's well, i like it's 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 moving about. Sir, i haven't it was some minutes before Ruby, the maid, returned with some candles. We all stayed in the room. No one left it, I'm sure of that. Then the butler, who'd been told of the fuse, managed to open the fuse box in the kitchen and eventually repaired it. The centre lights came on again. I closed the door and the search of the floor began once again. It was useless. The diamond had disappeared, just gone. It could not have left the room, since no one had left or entered it. Even Ruby had remained in the passage when I took the candles from her.
4: Can you describe where everyone was when the lights went out?
0: Yes, I was standing about here, Marvin there, Wallace was sitting in that chair, and Chester in the chair by the reading now. The stone was very large, and it would have sparkled in the light. It was nowhere to be found. After we'd thoroughly ransacked the room, we gave up the search in despair. This is damned awkward, you know. The blasted thing has got to be somewhere. I think there's nothing for it. But each of us has to submit to a thorough search. You can start with me, if you like. I'm prepared to strip to the skin. Well, it's um, (laughs) darn embarrassing. I... If I think Wallace is right, I suppose there's nothing else for it. All right, it's a dreadful business, but we must be sure. I feel responsible, but I must clear myself. All right, let's trip one at a time. We're all aware of the ways of Joel Thieves. Each man to be given a thorough search. As I say, you will start with me. A space was cleared here in the center of the room, and each of us forgot his clothes while the others went over every inch of them. When it was all over, we were all satisfied that none of us was in possession of the diamond. What happened then? Well, we sat down and held a council of war. Eventually it was agreed that as the diamond had been lost in my house and the evening arranged at my instigation, I must be held responsible for its loss. Well, I tell you, Holmes, that I cannot make good the value of the stone. I shall be reduced to
4: bankruptcy. Have you any theories? Not even I can have a theory without all the facts. Two or three questions. One is, who has been in this room since the incident took place? No one.
0: After each man had closed himself, the others watched him until it grew late and it was agreed to pass. They left together. I stayed here in this room. i have not left it. I locked the door. left on the over. Early this morning, I wrote out the telegram and one of the servants sent to the village and sent it off. i have had no meals in here. I simply couldn't eat a thing. I assure you that this room is in exactly the same state as when the Blumhof diamond disappeared. It's my belief it is still in here. Mm.
4: Well, that could be I'm not certain I think you've acted admirably, do you, Cook? Another question. Are you quite sure that it was at the exact moment of the chest was fixed on this evening lamp that the patient was at that precise moment? And in your first little room, nothing to find. at
0: any interest before us? Nothing. I'd like to call a company dick and dick. The town under the table.
4: Even that, I'd like to say, I don't know.
2: be so fascinated by such a puzzle, and was eager to see how Holmes would tackle the matter. To my complete surprise, he sat himself down in one of the easy chairs and simply gazed around. We were silent, watching him observe every detail of the furnishings. And then he said, You must be very
4: weary, Leacock. Might I suggest that you leave us, go to your room, take a bath, change the clothes that you've been sleeping in, and get yourself something to eat? By that time, I shall have finished in here, and we can talk once again. Well,
0: I think that's an excellent suggestion. If you don't mind, I'll do exactly that. Please touch the bell if you need anything. One of the servants will attend you. Mm, splendid. Just how big is your staff? I have a butler, James, a cook, Mrs. Hawkes, and Ruby, the housemaid. Small staff, but we manage between us. I'm a bachelor. The house is not all that big, really. I see.
4: Well, I may ask to interview all three servants before I go. And meanwhile, take your time in recovering from your long ordeal.
0: Thank you. It is indeed a relief to have you dealing with this terrible matter. Please do make yourself at home. Now,
4: mm. well, now, Watson, what do you make of things? Well, yes, I know, Holmes. If Leacock is right and no one took the
2: diamond out of this room, then it must still be here. Do you intend to search the place? No,
4: no, I think that would be something of a waste of time. Leacock would have moved everything in his efforts to find the jewel. No, just a few things. The curtain, the Yes. They're very thick. And the windows are securely fastened. The drop to the gardens is quite considerable. Now, the lamp, the reading lamp. Well, this lights up all right now. Yes, but let me switch it off and take out the electric light bulb. Yes, it's interesting. very interesting. And very swift. A matter of a few seconds to remove the bulb and replace it. Really a wonderful invention, the reading lamp. Now, what was it, Leacock said? They searched thoroughly and found nothing but a threepenny piece on the carpet. Now on the mantelpiece, I think he said, "Now let's see, eh? I... Oh, yes, here it is." Yes, I think I'll pocket
2: this. Well, oh, Holmes, I've heard of people picking up small coins for luck, but don't you think in these circumstances it's a trifle mean? Not at
4: all. It might bring me good luck. Yes. I think now, while Leacock is about his ablutions, it'll be a good opportunity to have a word or two with the servants. Shall we find our way to their quarters, Watson?
2: Way below stairs, as it were, and found the cook, Mrs. Hawkes, busy preparing a meal. How much she knew of the drama going on about her was hard to guess, but she did have decided views.
6: Don't with it, Mr. Holmes. It's dangerous, all this electricity. It's not natural. Why, we'll all be burnt in our beds if we don't watch out.
4: No, you may find that it won't be long before you're able to cook with it.
6: Me, we'll oh, never. Gas is bad enough. Yeah, good coal fire. I'll produce you a decently cooked meal. Uh,
4: is that the fuse box up there?
6: That's right. James and I was having a bit of dinner at that table. The left as you understand. Ruby had gone to clear up in the dining room. We was about to get ready to do the washing up when, oh, suddenly there's a spark from that there box. All the lights go out. Oh, I can't, the wedding never did, trust the electricity. James got up and fiddled about and eventually put It's a wire back in that thing, But it took him time, I can tell you. Gave us all such a fright. I tell you, it's far too dangerous an invention. Hmm. Well,
4: we must have progress, you know. Uh, What about the telephone?
6: Well, well, I must admit, I, I have answered it on your occasion. Seems funny hearing someone's voice speaking from miles away. At the same time you are, if you know what I mean. As a matter of fact, I heard Ruby's father only yesterday. He'd been ill telephoned her to say he was better. I answered the phone,
4: and then I called Groovy. Ah, I see. Well, I'm glad you think some modern inventions are useful, Mrs. Hawks. Well, we shall leave you now. I think, Mr. Leacock, will want to have a few words with us before we get back to London. A uh, good day to you. Come on.
2: We waited a short time until Claude Leacock appeared, looking considerably refreshed and eager to know what Holmes had decided. Holmes remained totally
4: noncommittal, but gave quite precise directions. Hmm. I shall leave you now, Leacock, and travel back to town. Watson and I will lunch there. We both have several things to do. But in the meantime, will you please get in touch with your friends, Peter Marvin, Edmund Chester, and Roger Wallace? Tell them that they must all three return here this evening at 8.30. Tell them that I, Sherlock Holmes, have investigated and decided exactly how the diamond disappeared. Tell them that I expect it to be returned. Holmes, this is extraordinary. Are you sure? Oh, yes, perfectly sure. You must telephone each of them now and say that it is a matter of life and death. And if they don't arrive on time, I shan't place their future at the value of a threepenny bit. Those words, understand? Come often. We have just time to catch the next train home. We caught the next train with some minutes to spare, and Holmes was extremely thoughtful for
2: most of the journey. Eventually, he stopped puffing at his empty meerschaum pipe,
4: gazed out at the fields flashing by the window, and said, The Barrel Coronet, the Amersham Emerald and the Mazarin Stone, those three cases that you have chronicled immediately spring to mind, don't they, Watson? Oh, you mean they all three dealt with missing jewels? Yes, I remember. But they are different from the present case in two respects. Can you say what those two respects are? Watson?
2: Uh, well, uh, let's see. Well, uh, uh,
4: No. no, Best if I can. The telephone and electric light. Yes. Two of today's modern advances in the easy living of our present-day society. And both an integral part of this very puzzling case. I confess I cannot see how. Oh, you will, Watson. You will. You have already accepted the telephone and used it to great effect in your personal and professional life. I think you may soon appreciate electricity to the full. Might I suggest that you start by learning how to replace a fuse? Watson?
2: I was glad of the afternoon to devote to my own work, but interested when, in the early evening, Holmes once again asked me to accompany him back to Lee House at Richmond. We were back in the same room again by eight o'clock. The other guests had arrived, and Claude Leacock introduced us both. Holmes had, on the train, given me the most explicit instructions. I didn't understand them at all, but knew better than to query his requests. Before the assembled company had gathered to hear what he had to say, I was dispatched to the servants' quarters. Apparently, once I'd left the room, Holmes got down to business.
4: Well, gentlemen, I'm glad that you've all managed to arrive here on time as requested. That's good. It means we will have cooperation.
0: Of course. But I couldn't make sense of Claude's message. He said you knew exactly what had happened to the diamond. And, uh, and some rot about our lives not being worth threatened. What's it oh, mean? Please, Mr. Holmes will explain. Just give in time. Thank you.
4: Now, firstly, will you all assume the positions you were in last night when the lights fused and the diamond disappeared? Uh,
0: please. I'll do as you said. Yeah, I, well, will, uh, I, I was standing right here. I know where I am yes. Good. Good.
4: Now, I assure you that apart from the inevitable searching that you yourselves did, everything is exactly the same as it was last night. Now, the top electric light is on and the reading lamp on the table is off. It is all exactly the same, is that not so? Absolutely. Yes, yes.
0: Exactly. yes. exactly.
4: Now, I shall just alter things a little by ringing the certain bell...
0: Farrell?
4: So? Now, Leacock, will you please produce the leather case in which the Bloomhoff diamond was taken from the safe? Of course,
0: I have it to hand. Here.
4: Uh, and the tissue paper? Of course. Now, place them on the small table in exactly the position you can remember.
0: Certainly. Uh,
4: thank you. Now, I think I should tell you that you will be receiving a call from the police within the next ten minutes. Oh, but it's one oh, here. Yes. 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 Uh, sir, gentlemen, gentlemen, yes. I, I must explain. The police will call on the telephone. It will be up to you, then, to say what course of action you wish them to take. You can merely say it's a false alarm, or you can instruct them to take action against the man who took the diamond. But we don't know who took the blood. Patience. Patience.
6: You rubbed,
4: sir. Uh, yes, I did, Ruby. Here, I have something of yours in my pocket. In a threepenny bit. It was found on the floor here last night, after the lights went out and the valuable diamond disappeared. It is yours, isn't it? Well, look here. What sort of joke is this? Well, Why drag Ruby in here? Uh, you will see. Please do not move from your position. Now, allow me. I shall turn on the table lamp. So? Then, <coughs> like this is a here. damn
0: bad place, Holmes. The matches. Uh, we know it's no good trying the light, switch. Uh, here we are. Matches, it. Yeah. Oh, great Look, in the light of the match. Something glittering on the tissue paper. It's the diamond. The diamond is back.
4: Yes, and so are the lights. Watson has fixed the fuse in the kitchen exactly as instructed. Well, Leacock, I told you I'd be responsible for returning your diamond. Now, gentlemen, I shall leave you. The good Watson will be here in a moment, and we just have time to take a carriage to the station for the train home. But what does it mean? How, how did it all happen? Who is responsible? Gentlemen, you can do one of two things. Work it out yourselves and agree to take appropriate action against the would-be thief, or place the whole thing in the hands of the police and let them work it out. If they do then criminal action will be taken against the culprit and your business will be made public. If you do it yourselves, then it can still be resolved in secret. But we don't
0: know which one of us is guilty. How can we know?
4: Let me give you a very broad hint. The mate, Ruby, is a well-known jewel thief who's only worked here a few months. She has also worked for considerably longer for Mr. Peter Marvin. And Mr. Marvin phoned yesterday to this house impersonating her father to say he was much better. Doesn't that give you a clue, gentlemen? Ah, Boston, you're here. The case is closed as far as we are concerned. Shall we go home?
2: I was as baffled as I usually am when Holmes solves an intricate case. I knew he wouldn't tell me all about it until he was ready, and this came after we were safely settled in an otherwise empty compartment on the London-bound train.
4: You see, it was all a childishly simple trick. The whole success of the theft depended upon the lights going out at exactly the right time. Fuses do not blow without some reason. In this case, a trepany piece inserted under the bulb of a lamp with a piece of metal bridging the contacts and causing the electrical short circuit. I noticed a small stain on the coin in question. Yes, but who? Put it there? Ruby the maid, while they were having dinner. She hid behind the heavy curtains near the lamp. When the lights went out, she swiftly stepped forward, removed the bulb, tipped out the coin, replaced the bulb, and taking the diamond, slipped from the room. By the time the match had fled, she appeared in the door to inquire what the trouble was. So, she did it all? Mm, not all. She was acting under Marvin's instructions. He worked it all out, and when he knew the game was all set, he rang her on the telephone, pretending to be her father. That meant they would go ahead with the plan. She must have slipped the diamond into Marvin's coat pocket in the hall when she went out to the kitchen. When I gave them all the warning that I knew how it was worked, Marvin decided that he'd better return the diamond, or well, his life wouldn't be worth the trepancy bit. Yes, but how is it that the light's all fused a second time? Because I put yet another coin in the base of the holder under the bulb. I'm not so hard up that I can't afford trepancy. So the case Watson. <laughs>
0: listen again next Sunday to The Stories of Sherlock Holmes with Graham
4: Armitage as Holmes and Kerry Jordan as Dr. Watson.